0: My name is Maria McDowell, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the rector of St. Philip the Deacon Episcopal Church in Portland, Oregon. When we see Christ materially depicted in different ways, we praise his greatness more magnificently. Theodore the Studite. You might, for this podcast, pull out an icon, an image of Jesus, Mary, or any other saint. If you don't have one, do an internet search for your favorite saint plus the word icon. Look at it. Look at the person depicted. Place yourself with them next to them in their story. Invite them to sit with you, to be present with you. Tell them for a moment what is giving you the most hope and what is giving you the most grief. Wonder what they might do or say to your hope and grief. Sit with them for a moment. Pause me if you want. If that sounds a bit weird for you, hear me out. When I walk into a church and find myself face-to-face with an icon, I immediately cross myself and bow to kiss the painted wood. It is instinctive to reach out and touch an icon lightly as I pass by. I find this instinct a little embarrassing as it is physically demonstrative in a way that is just not typical in the Episcopal culture in which I minister. I grew up in a world surrounded by images of Jesus, of Mary, the God-bearer, of saints from around the world. This abundance of images, all these different ways of seeing God incarnate, wasn't always the case, even in the Christian East from whence I come. Much like the Reformation forebears of the Anglican Communion, Byzantine Christians of the 8th century were pretty uncomfortable with the idea of depicting God in wood and paint. They were afraid of violating the second commandment, Thou shalt have no graven images. And during the 8th and ninth centuries, many icons were destroyed by iconoclasts, and some were hidden away in remote desert monasteries and the closets of rebellious nuns and empresses. Defenders of icons argued that in the incarnation we see God in Christ. Therefore, Christ can be seen in images of wood and paint. Icons, they said, helped tell the story of the gospel for the illiterate. The conflict ebbed and flowed across multiple generations. And over time, the fear underlying iconoclast arguments shifted. You see, it was one thing to allow folks to see images of Jesus. But people weren't content to just look. Images and sacred symbols were so popular That the people were making them out of glass and stone and sewing them into clothing, the late ancient equivalent of dangling a cross from a car mirror or tattooing Jesus on your arm. Folks insisted on touching icons, kissing them, kneeling before them, talking with them, and praying with them as if the person depicted were actually there. For some, such behavior seemed to confuse the divine with the material and smacked of superstition, of magic. And so, in an attempt to rein in such dangerous creativity, some insisted that icons of Jesus were allowed only in churches, hung high enough on the wall that they were out of reach. Icons and the person they imaged were to be seen, not touched. But the monk Theodore, who I quoted at the beginning, found this solution deeply unsatisfying. Icons for the eye alone seemed to imply that we could worship God through mental contemplation, making God an intellectual abstraction. It built into worship a kind of classist snobbery, where smart, educated people didn't need icons, they just needed the word. Only the uneducated, the illiterate, the unsophisticated needed such an earthy gospel. One student of Theodore quipped that if this were really true, if all we needed was the idea of God, perhaps Mary should have written a book, not born a child. And so Theodore says when we see Christ materially depicted in different ways, we praise his greatness more magnificently. Seeing Christ depicted with different colors, textures, and materials doesn't distract us from the good news, but captures our senses and delights us with the magnificent creativity of a creator who creates color and pigments, textures and textiles. Theodore also understands that it is always better when an idea becomes solid, material, touchable, holdable, kissable. We intuitively know this. The conversation in person is better than the imagination of it in our minds. The actual hug is way better than hoping for it. So not only is it possible to show Christ and the saints in many different ways, but we need to show them creatively, diversely, uniquely. Here's the thing though, when theologians argue about images in wood and paint or creeds or scripture, they always have another concern, us. Our relationship with one another, our relationship with God. In this case, our bodies. Icons are not just paintings. They are a physical means of bringing the person imaged closer to us, and us closer to them and their way of life. They are a way of creating a relationship between a past event, and ancestor in the faith, and our life today, as we live it in our bodies. Theodore isn't just worried about images, but about people. Just as Christ took on matter, so too do we take on Christ. Theodore is drawing on an understanding of salvation in which our very selves, including our bodies, have been taken on in Christ's body, and so, like Christ, are able to be filled with the divine. Let me say that again. Our bodies, like Christ's body, are filled with the divine. This is the promise of the Incarnation, the promise we wait for, and the promise we live out even now in our relationships with one another. Our bodies and all their messy diversity and uniqueness and fluidity are filled with God. And for us to really grasp the magnificence of God, we need to see, engage with, befriend, love, celebrate all this amazing bodily diversity. In other bodies, we see not our own lack or a threat of being displaced, but the magnificence of a creator whose creativity always exceeds our own. Look for a moment at the icon in your hand, or look at the image of God that is your child, your friend, your coworker, the man sleeping on the street, the woman crossing the border, your beloved. God does more with flesh and bone than we can ever do with paint and wood. Blessed Nativity, Blessed Incarnation, Blessed Flesh and Bone. Advent for Every Body is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. To learn more, go to www.trinity-episcopal.org.